0: Funny things trigger memories. When I was 19, I worked in a library, and I can still remember smelling an ex-girlfriend's perfume when I was restocking the shelves one day on the second floor in the nonfiction area. There's a school across the street from where I live right now, and whenever I hear the kids playing at recess, I'm reminded of the end credits from the movie Children of Men and the echoes of kids laughing. When it rains, I often think of when I was in college, discovering a lot of the music I still listen to today. And for me, the mist that envelops the forest and Santa Cruz on most nights, it goes hand in hand with Bossa Nova. Santa Cruz, California, incidentally, is where I started studying Russian. And it's also where I first listened to Russian music. Now, many American teenagers are no stranger to a guitar, of course. And there are many a young men who are more than happy to whip one out when there are enough pretty girls gathered around a campfire or something like that. Personally speaking, I've always found Russian musical culture to be more serious, more shared, and honestly more intimidating than anything I myself have encountered in America. I remember burning songs onto CDs by bards like Vladimir Vysotsky, Sergei Nikitin, and Alexander Rosenbaum, and I'd play their music, and I'd try to absorb the political messages and the poetry and the slang and all the vibes that that I could see reverberate in my Russian friends when they heard these songs. And I wondered if their apparent passion was what it was like in the 60s and the 70s when America was having a cultural revolution and music seemed so important. If big changes and cultural shifts are what elevate music like this, now is a good time to take stock of what's happening today in Russia. More than 600 days after the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and after the imposition of militarized censorship and the spread of wartime social norms. So what's new with Russia's music scene? How has the invasion influenced popular trends? And what room is there for the kinds of counter-cultural genres that tend to top the charts for decades to come? Welcome to The Naked Pravda. (laughs) Howdy, folks. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English language edition, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. On this week's show, we're diving deep into Russia's contemporary music scene, looking at pro invasion musicians, anti war music in exile, and the climate generally. For anybody in Russia with an instrument or a rhyme, and a half decent scheme to bend your ear or tickle your dance feet. Now, before I move on, I should warn listeners that I am not particularly well-versed in modern music. Most of the bands I love were popular before I was born, in the early 80s, and I recently shocked and disgusted some of my colleagues at Medusa by revealing that I could not, cannot name, or even identify a single Taylor Swift song. Turns out that I'd heard one or two of her songs in the animated Sing movies. But anyway, all this is my way of apologizing for sounding about 9,000 years old and crusty when trying to pronounce some of the rappers' names on this week's show. Anyway, moving on. I spoke to three guests for this episode, which means the show is a little longer than usual. So let's jump right into it and get to the first interview, my conversation with music journalist Denise Bayarinov. How would you rate the level of freedom for musicians today in Russia? What do they need to do, per se, to get into trouble?
1: Uh, The level of freedom for musicians now, well, I would rate it a one out of five. In the sense that, you know, when your phone is dying, there's one bar left, and you think that it's going to shut off. And that will be the end. Musicians are censored. Well, they still have the opportunity to express themselves, of course, but there are a lot of threats, so they have to choose their words very carefully or think through what they do in public. What topics are off-limits for them now, so to speak? I would say that the main topic, of course, is the war with Ukraine. And in general, even the word war itself. As you might know, is now simply banned in Russian society. Any relatively innocuous pacifist activity can now be perceived in Russian society as, yeah, participating in this military conflict from the other side, as actions practically aimed at undermining the state security of the Russian Federation. Because there is a law on fakes, which can be interpreted pretty broadly. And under this law, any statement, any disagreement with the state's actions, the authorities, any value judgment about what's happening in the country can be punished very easily in a wide range of ways, from quite substantial monetary fines to imprisonment for up to three, up to five years, and so on. That's why now Russian musicians, as I said, choose their words very carefully. Even those whose outlook we can guess, but for whatever reason, they can't go abroad and feel more free. They have to choose their words based on this. And not only in their songs, not even so much in songs and music. Maybe for many of them, commenting on the current situation has never been part of their artistic strategy. But they can't even say something to you in an interview, they can't post anything. Because they know that, first of all, it's very much punishable. There are different strategies with these artists. From a relatively mild professional ban, when they start to have their concerts canceled for some whatever unrelated reason, to have their their concerts postponed, the genre of music has an influence in the sense that, well, It's clear that pop musicians, as a rule, have always been, and especially in the Russian tradition, apolitical. And this is such a long tradition coming from the Soviet state, because pop music, entertainment music, which subsequently became pop music, was always under strict ideological control. And you couldn't exist in this field with any independent opinion. That is, there was a period of freedom in Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union, a short 10 years, no more, when nobody cared what anyone said or what anyone thought. And this heyday of freedom lasted just the decade of the 90s. After that, the screws began to tighten again. And they've been tightened for a long time. They were already tightened before the war, so everybody was kind of used to it. And pop artists never really tried to say anything. They just went about their business. Their business. The
2: God,
0: Yuri Shevchuk, the frontman of the legendary Soviet and then Russian rock band DDT or DDT, is one of the few celebrities who's remained in Russia and also spoken out against the invasion of Ukraine. The band recently postponed its international tour after announcing that Shevchuk suffered a heart attack. He's reportedly on the mend and looks forward to getting back on stage. Now, the clip you just heard is from a song called Motherland Come Back to Me with the lyrics, Don't go crazy, this isn't your war. The rooks, turns out those are birds, I had no idea. The rooks are waiting in the fields of spring. Motherland Come Back Home. The track appears on the album Wolves at the Range, which features nine songs about the invasion of Ukraine. Shevchuk and DDT used crowdfunding to finance the album's production.
3: And of
1: course, in rock culture, there's always been a different level and attitude of the artists themselves and of the topics they talk about, they touch on. Its genesis is connected with a kind of free thinking, with the underground, with contradicting the official ideology. It was like that in the 80s, it was like that in the 90s, but now rock musicians are also divided into two camps. There are those who speak from the point of view of conservative patriots who are in favor of the war and so on, but there are musicians who dare to say and think something different. The most classic example is the band Derete and Yorishevchuk a very big and important, very prominent rock figure in our country, comparable, I don't know, to Bruce Springsteen in America. Shevchuk is probably the same level in Russia. Yura, a musician, is famous, yes. This memes related to the fact that Putin once pretended he didn't know Yuri Shevchuk. I think he knew exactly who he was dealing with. A classic example, Yuri Shevchuk said a rather innocent phrase at one of his concerts that, in fact, the motherland is not the president's ass to massage and kiss, the motherland is a grandmother selling potatoes. Yes, in this phrase there was nothing anti-war. But regardless, Shevchuk was actually fined under the law and fakes. And yeah, the fine was symbolic, 50,000 rubles, about $500. It was a warning. It's clear that next time, even the same judge could give another verdict. These are the kinds of signals they send. And other than rock musicians, the genre where this is important is rap music, rap culture. They're the younger generation, which in many ways has now taken on the protest that rock had in its time. Now rock has somehow left the position of trying to influence and talk to contemporaries about what's happening in the country right now
0: that's a clip from a song by the rapper face about waking up feeling sick and wondering if he should go see a doctor but i know what the problem is he continues we fucked up the country although it was never ours so i'm not sad it rhymes in russian uh, and i'm no poet but you get the idea almost immediately after the february 2022 invasion of ukraine Face criticized the war publicly. A month later, he announced that he and his family had been driven out of Russia. And he later said that he has no plans to ever return. In the song you heard, titled Your Country, Face raps about his feelings on the war, about leaving Russia, and about what's happening there now. The album is called Nichevo Khoroshova or Nothing Good.
1: And well, the second, of course, the second topic, yeah, besides the war in Ukraine, besides the attitude to the war, and in general, to the meaningfulness of this war. The second main topic, where they always try to censor musicians, and have for quite a long time, is drugs and the glorification of unhealthy lifestyles, bad influences on young people. But in my opinion, the second topic is more likely used just to generally keep this group under control. It's clear that there are some genres and the way they exist, this rap culture, which is based on the fact that it describes the real life of a young person, a city dweller. Naturally, drugs are a big part of this life, simply because they're a big part of the life of a young person in the Russian Federation. A very big drug problem exists in the country, which, in my opinion, isn't because of artists singing about it. So there's a misunderstanding of cause and effect. Artists sing about it because it's a problem, but the authorities shift the responsibility to the artist. For some reason, not the law enforcement agencies who should deal with the issue, but the artists who reflect this reality in their songs are to blame. In my opinion, the state has built a very effective machine for managing what musicians who have an audience, a large audience, a young audience can say.
0: Are the state authorities directly responsible for this pressure on musicians, or is it more pro-regime organizations that are doing it?
2: It's definitely,
1: in my opinion, it's definitely censorship. Censorship, first of all, is needed and necessary, of course, for the authorities, for the state, which is running the current political regime. And the way it's organized is actually quite cunning, because Russia has a constitution, and censorship is forbidden there. So you have to invent some mechanisms to justify its presence that, among other things, bypass the existing legal processes. In fact, this isn't just an invention of the last two years. It's a long-standing practice that's been going on since the mid-2000s. This kind of censorship in Russia is carried out by public organizations, representatives of various public organizations. But as a rule, they're all conservative, right-wing initiatives connected with, well, they always have the usual long, complicated, beautiful titles. But in reality, they're engaged in some kind of, like, persecution, denunciation, extortion, and so on.
3: That is, if we
1: consider the history of how censorship appeared in modern Russia, then I think we should remember, for example, Vitaly Milonov, who, maybe you've heard of him, who began his political career here, basically in this area. He turned from an inconspicuous political figure working in St. Petersburg into a rather plotting right-wing political figure at the national level. He also started, while heading a certain public organization, making complaints and wrote, well, then it seemed quite ridiculous, absurd. He wrote complaints about foreign artists who performed in the Russian Federation. He wrote complaints about Rammstein and Madonna. He looked for and found, looking from his right-wing conservative angle, propaganda of an unhealthy lifestyle, propaganda essentially of non-traditional sexual relations, and so on. And again, it was all happening under the banner of fighting for influence over young people's minds. But at the time, Milonov didn't succeed in cancelling concerts. He succeeded in drawing attention to the topic. There was a discussion, but somehow it all existed. No one banned artists or artists' songs, they toured here and performed. Now the situation has already reached a new level. And the most striking example of the way such censorship is organized in modern Russian society is the Safe Internet League, headed by Ekaterina Mizulina. Again, what is it? What kind of organization is this? If you look at it, it's a public organization. That is, in theory, it's not directly connected to the state. It's not some state structure. It was founded back in 2011 by a man named Konstantin Malefeyev, an oligarch, a wealthy man with right-wing conservative views, the creator of the Tsargrad TV network.
0: Just a quick clarification for listeners. Tsargrad is a television station that's been broadcasting since 2015. The network was founded by a businessman named Konstantin Malefeyev who has also been implicated in financing the separatists in the Donbass before Russia decided to annex the territories formally and absorb its proxies into the Russian Federation, according to Malifeyev, Tsargrad was created to be a platform and voice for the Russian Orthodox majority.
3: It was
1: created as a kind of public initiative of people in the media field in 2011. Moreover, the people who joined the organization were very prominent figures, functionaries of the mass media sphere at the federal level. The then Russian communications minister, Igor Shigolev, was on the board of trustees. That is, on the one hand, it seems to be a public organization, and on the other hand, as we say in Russian, with a roof at the very top or with access to the very top echelons of power, which gives it a lot of room and opportunity for its activities. It's existed since 2011, for better or for for worse. It was also involved in moderating Internet content, but it wasn't so generally discussed. That is, they created a legislative basis for censoring the Internet, thanks to which now, in principle, the state has a resource to condemn dissenters under the guise of fighting for purity of influence on the youth.
0: It's my understanding that the Safe Internet League and Mizulina, they file reports and complaints against musicians, do these these filings lead anywhere, are there real consequences for musicians?
3: It's
1: not that they write denunciations, they receive them. It's a very interesting point here. I mean, supposedly anyone can write to the Safe Internet League and they'll look into it. At least they say they do. They accept inquiries from the public. And this, by the way, is actually the devilish genius of this idea. The fact that it's not handled by a committee created inside the Russian State Duma, which would of course be headed by some 60-year-olds who don't really understand what's happening in modern culture, who's important to young people, who they look up to, who they don't look up to, who's a rapper, who isn't a rapper. Well, understandably, they would be, to put it mildly, ineffective at this censorship. They say they're being written by schoolchildren and their parents, who've come across a song they don't like, whose content they find outrageous. It doesn't matter whether it's related to propaganda or pacifist statements, and they report it to the right place. The right place is the Safe Internet League, headed by Ekaterina Mizulina which then launches, in essence, a harassment mechanism. They write requests to the Russian investigative committee, to Russia's internal affairs ministry, to repressive police structures, asking them to pay attention to an artist, to take a closer look at him, to look into him for something specific. And these are not abstract things, they actually give some examples. That there is such-and-such song, such-and-such stories on the Internet, such-and-such video clips.
3: And this is
0: all done publicly, so everybody sees and people are afraid? Among other things, yes, of course. In fact,
1: the Safe Internet League attracted attention with two rather high-profile cases. In 2021, they complained to the Russian Prosecutor General's Office about drug propaganda in Morgan Stern songs. That is, the main rap artist in Russia at the time. And then, in his interview with Yuri Dud, that is again an artist who gave an interview to a rather prominent journalist, and again an influencer, and so on. They were fined 100,000 rubles, about thousand dollars each. Morgan Stern and Dude. again, by the standard of possible consequences. This was the first warning, but it was a very loud, high-profile warning, which I think everyone noticed, that a certain force had appeared, a certain supervisory body which took on the public duty of monitoring the purity of these areas, the purity of the Internet, so that there was nothing unnecessary, dangerous, problematic. In fact... This organization can, in principle, choose any artist, or even not an artist, any blogger, to pursue. They're interested not only in musicians, but also bloggers, streamers, well, all the more or less visible media people on the Internet who communicate with people via the Internet. And the reason for going after them can be, in principle, anything. Because it's known that a very important topic for the Safe Internet League, and for Ekaterina Mizulina in particular, is propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations. And in this second important part, and actually one of the most recent cases is the targeting of transgender blogger Hilmi Forks. You may have heard of him. They're now trying to prosecute him for LGBTQ plus propaganda and even for the distribution of alleged pornography. So,
0: what's left for musicians to sing about? Just songs about love or something? Is making independent music possible at all? Because I've often thought to myself, and maybe this isn't a very scientific opinion, but I've always thought that some amount of persecution, if it's not too much, that it actually helps artists, because essentially it makes their work more important. Because when there's no censorship whatsoever, you can say whatever and it doesn't matter. I don't know, like, kill the president or something, and if it's allowed, then it's not controversial, it's nothing, and people can forget about it immediately. But if there are like real consequences of some kind, then, you know, it all matters, then the music matters. Does does that make sense? Yes, I think that's the case.
1: You're right in the sense that in fact this pressure, state pressure, censorship pressure, and the prohibition of dissent can affect culture in different ways. I mean, we know from the history of Russia and the Soviet Union, that these kinds of ideological bands, they don't really help the authorities. It's the opposite. Any action causes an opposite reaction, as we know from the laws of physics. The harder the state pushes, the more unexpected places people appear who dare to speak out. Yes, in fact, just like Ekaterina mizulina's struggle, so to speak, to purify rap from mentions of drugs hasn't led to anything yet. As we see that Russian rappers haven't stopped writing songs and haven't stopped mentioning drugs, it's just become trickier, because there's like a new language, this kind of indirect slang. On one hand, there are more hardcore underground genres. That is to say, there's a type of rap that does things out of spite, so to speak, and it openly and directly describes, in much harsher ways, those things that were possible to talk about before. On the other hand, the artists who are at the top of the pyramid, who are already stars, they negotiate with Mizulina. That is, because, again, this is not a comprehensible, transparent state structure. They are effectively intermediaries.
0: In May 2023, Yekaterina Mizulina, the daughter of a former Russian senator, publicly criticized the work of three young rappers Instasamka, Hofmanita, and Scali Milano. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing any of those. The musicians, all three, soon met with Mizulina in person, and they later changed their songs, removing drug references from their lyrics. They also all posed for photographs with Mizulina when they met, and these images then circulated online and have become a meme. Skali Milano is a young rap artist in Russia. His music belongs to what is known as scam rap, which is something I'd never heard about before, but is in fact a genre, a subgenre that emerged in Detroit about a decade ago. The lyrics in this subgenre focus on various forms of fraudulent activities, particularly those conducted in the digital realm, such as online political scams, hacking, the dark web, cybercrime in general. And there's a lot about drugs and this kind of music too, naturally. And this is precisely what he redacted in an edited version of the song Scam, which is his biggest hit. In the lyric, yeah, I was a bit down, one of my fans was bothering me, my brother got caught for selling, he was using. In the edited version, the words selling and using are no longer audible.
1: Actually, That's why we've now gotten a wave of these photos of various Russian musical cultural representatives with Mizulina, Scali Milano, Insta Samka, Hoftmanita, and so on. So they come, they get acquainted with her, they sort of build bridges. They promise Mizulina that they'll be good. They find common ground. And after that, Mizulina states that she's happy that we have such a good young generation, that they're young artists, that they're actually good people, it's just that they maybe don't read the criminal code carefully. But now they'll correct themselves, they'll clean up their lyrics, they won't mention those things. This is working with public opinion, an important signal to artists, saying, look, watch yourself, watch your actions, your expressions, your language. And if you're ready to play by our rules, Mizulina says openly in her press conferences, if you're ready to play by our rules, welcome. We can come to an agreement. In fact, that's why we've gotten now this wave of, on the one hand, public displays of friendship with the Safe Internet League, and on the other hand, we've gotten the Safe Internet League and Ekaterina Mizulina turning up into a kind of meme. So I'm going to do that again. We can come to an agreement. In fact, that's why we've gotten this wave of, on the one hand, public displays a friendship with the Safe Internet League, and on the other hand, we've gotten the Safe Internet League and Ekaterina Mizulina turning into a kind of meme, where now those same rappers who are using her name as a common noun, as a kind of metaphor. The rapper Oxymeron wrote a whole track that he called the Dangerous Internet League, and so on. I think that for artists, they're just faced with a moral choice. Each of them decides for themselves what they do in this situation. Either they adapt to the rules that are strictly imposed by the state, or they invent some alternative way of existence for themselves. They go into the deep underground or move to another country so they can have freedom of speech, freedom of direct expression. This is how it works now. And the most classic example, I think, is that of rapper Lakinin. Lokinin is a rapper who was an opposition rapper, who'd expressed his, like, dissatisfaction with Putin's regime even before the war. During the war he didn't change his position and he didn't stop expressing his thoughts out loud and he stayed in Russia, which is quite a dangerous strategy because those people who kind of disagreed and wanted to continue to disagree, they left, which made them safe. The rapper Lokimin stayed in the Russian Federation, but at the same time he continued to give concerts, continued to post anti-war messages on his social media, sometimes even radical, quite radical, up to the fact that he posted he posted the flag of the Ukrainian insurgent army somewhere on his social
3: media.
0: Is he under house know. arrest or, or pre-trial detention or
3: what? No, they arrested him. Actually,
1: again, there was a complaint. The Safe Internet League asked for Lokimin to be looked into. They cancelled his concert at first, and then he was arrested for displaying banned symbols because the Ukrainian insurgent army, an extremist organization, is banned in the Russian Federation. Yeah, he received an administrative detention. He was kept for five days, he said, in a pretrial detention center in Moscow. And then he got out, which he also wrote about on social media. And after that, he actually apologized for his behavior, for all of his statements. And he published a message of the nature that, as a citizen of the Russian Federation, He has no right to say anything against the army of the Russian Federation, that he can't be against his army, his people. Well, in other words, he formally renounced, no, not formally, but de facto renounced, so to say, his dissenting views. Yeah, literally repented on camera. It's, again, a signal to those people who are inside the music business that this is what's going to happen to you. So draw your own conclusions. Naturally, Mizulina, commenting on the situation, said that a person who doesn't agree with what our country is doing has no right to be in the country, much less the right to sing and give concerts here. If you want, you can perform at home in your kitchen, but nothing more. You can't perform in a public space. Like, the message is obvious and transparent. Yeah, and that's what the Safe Internet League is really for.
3: The internet,
0: okay? Here's a clip from a song on Loki-Mean's anti-war album Pyveska or Draft Summons. The lyrics describe children drawing pictures of wreaths on walls, and then he talks about walls being painted with children, an allusion to their blood and young men dying in the war. Sacrificial lambs, as it were. He also refers to the 2018 Kemerova fire, where several dozen children died when a shopping mall went up in flames. We've been talking about Russian music all this time, but what does an actual Russian musician have to say about the state of things? To find out, I spoke to an honest-to-God rock star, Kirill Ivanov, the leader of the band Samae Balshoje Prastoye Chislo, the largest prime number, known in Russian by the acronym SPBCh. And I got to tell you, their music is really good. For those, for, for listeners who are unfamiliar with SBBce, what would you tell our audience about the band? Because I, if you go on Wikipedia, it says you're a Russian indie group and you do IDM, which I had never heard of intelligence, intelligent dance music. Yeah.
3: Intelligent dance music. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, we have a lot of albums and we started making music like, uh, 18 years ago. Uh, my career started. And uh, I think that it's easier to name our style indie indie band because we recorded so much albums. And uh, one of our mottos is to make different music. It's very important for us to do something new and uh, to find something interesting in music. And that's why all of our, of our albums are very different. But I think indie, it's kind of word that doesn't mean anything. And it's very hard to describe your own music, but I think indie is okay.
0: Now, as I understand it, you have left Russia, you're no longer there. Could you tell me, were you forced out, or would you call that your own decision?
3: I left uh, Russia in a week after the war started and I think uh, I wasn't forced to do it. But uh, in the first day of war, we posted a statement from the band that uh, we are against that war. And uh, we made a lot of posts about it. And uh, after that, I came to Russia once, one year ago in August. There was no problem at all. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to try now, but I think there won't be any problems if I come to Russia, but I don't know, because this uh, system is very chaotic and it's uh, the thing. That's why I don't want to go there. And in the end of the year, probably you've heard about it, the... Hackers attacked Roskomnadzor. There were a lot of files and uh, documents. And uh, I found myself in these documents. In
0: November 2022, the Belarusian hacker group Cyber Partisans infiltrated the internal network of a key surveillance department in Roskomnadzor. Russia's federal censor and media regulator, and leaked data showing that the agency had been monitoring more than 800 people, collecting information about them that the Justice Ministry could use to add them to Russia's Foreign Agents Registry. The files from Roskomnadzor weren't the only reason Kirill started to worry that returning to Russia might be a bad idea. In July this year, the Oscar-winning director Nikita Mikhalkov. Who's now in his late 70s and has for years been more of a conspiracy theorist than a filmmaker? Mikhail Kov criticized Kirill's band on his YouTube show, Besagon TV, Exorcist TV, basically, I guess is the translation. And he called out the group's opposition to the war in Ukraine, claiming that it is in fact an anti Russian
2: position. Where the truth, where the truth. Where is the truth? Where is the lie? Where is the notion of shame? Then why declare anyone as foreign agents if it can be done so easily? It can appear in the eyes of thousands of people. Here is the performance. Before this performance in Istanbul, the proceeds of which went to the APU in that very Istanbul, which were released a few days ago, Azovites are Nazis at the request of Zelensky, who came there. Murderers were released from captivity, who will go to the front to continue fighting against us. Then Istanbul, hundreds of thousands of our tourists will travel. They will go to Turkey and will support the Turkish.
3: So, yeah, probably... It was another sign for me that probably I shouldn't come back to Russia. And these were more recent events.
0: Did you do any concerts at all in Russia after February 2022? Have you been back at all?
3: Yeah, I I have been for one week. But you didn't perform. Yeah, we didn't perform because I told uh, my bandmates uh, this thing uh, in the first day of war. I told them that I think that we won't be able do things uh, that we love as we used to do it. We have never been the band uh, that talks about politics from stage and so on. I was uh, active, I went to meetings. He means political demonstrations. In Russian, these are called meeting or meetings. Policemen came to my house and so on, but we've never used it on the stage and we were never talking about it. But uh, when the war started, I felt that we couldn't go on stage and say nothing. It's impossible. It's first first thing. And another one is that I think that now in Russia, they're uh, fighting not only with people who are against war and speak about it openly, but they are against everything that is not like like them, it's something that is vivid, uh, alive, that is not usual. So that's why I told my bandmates that I thought that we won't be able to do our music even if we don't speak about what's going on.
0: You said that the band released a statement against the war in the sort of immediate aftermath of the February 2022 invasion. I know, you, you know, it's not like your music was always, you know, down with this, up with this. It wasn't like necessarily like overtly political music at all times. But how has, since, since the Full Scale Invasion, I wonder how has that affected like your creative approach when, when writing music? Because one of the things that stood out to me is, I, I mentioned to you before that I was listening to this song of yours we have everything
3: and that came out before 2020 the 2022
0: invasion and then there's a new new song if i'm not mistaken it's it's a play on that title it's Nietzsche of yet there's nothing more
3: We are talking about our last album. Partly it was written before the war, but I think that there is some kind of uh, premonition of the war. And uh, it's a very grim album. Uh, we were working on it during the war. But for us, on the contrary, it, um, it's very strange, but it's true. Uh, this album helped us. And uh, this album helped us because uh, working on it was part of our pre-war routine. But of course, all our feelings were put in it. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's very dark, grim album. And that's why it's entitled uh, "There Is Nothing More." Are you still in touch with many musicians who are still back in Russia?
0: Like, can you share? What, anything about what they might be saying about the music scene now and like what's going on within the community?
3: I think uh, that a lot of people left Russia and they're in a strange position because uh, most of them are singing in Russian and it's very hard now. When the war started, we didn't make any gig for like six months, partly because we didn't know what should we say? Even can we make a gig? And uh, I think uh, that uh, a lot of musicians stayed in Russia because uh, it's, uh, it's very scary to leave, leave your country. Nobody speaks about it, but it's very scary to change your life completely. For instance, we had uh, very large audiences and very big concerts in Russia, like, two, three, four thousand people. And, uh, it's obvious that now we play for 200, 500, 1,000 max. And, uh, some musicians are not ready for this, but most of my colleagues and friends, yeah, they left. And, uh, in the first month I was of war, I had this dark feeling about the musicians who played festivals, big concerts, big shows, and so on. I was thinking, what the fuck? Why, why don't you say anything? How, how can you do it? But uh, I don't want to judge them. Um, there are a lot of different situations in, in life. But uh, for me, it's impossible. I'm glad that I have this opportunity to make this choice. But I understand there are, that there are a lot of people who cannot, who doesn't have a choice at all. And uh, that's why I don't want to judge anyone. But I see the problems on festivals. I was on, in Helsinki on, on festival and I met my friend who is running a big festival in St. Petersburg. And he told me that it was very, very hard to fill the line up. Because there is no musicians from the Western and uh, uh, a lot of uh, musicians from Russia left. When I read about, say,
0: like Russian political oppositionists who go to the West, you read a lot about them becoming the um, cautionary tale. It's usually Gary Kasparov. It's like, do you want to become Gary Kasparov, which is to say, sort of disconnected from lived experiences in Russia. I mean, I, th- for the Kasparov fans out there, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm sure some of listening to this are probably like, what's wrong with Kasparov? He's my hero. That's, that's fine. Um, but he is often cited as somebody who, is, who kind of left and then lost touch with things. And the, the idea that Navalny went back is like he didn't want to become Kaspanov. Um is this, is this a problem with musicians? Obviously, you're not politicians, so it's, it's not the same thing. When you become sort of an indie group in exile, you know, you're, you're still singing in Russian and you're like, that's your, that is your culture, obviously, and you're part of Russian culture by being artists and so on.
3: Our band is strange exam- example for it because we are not, uh, we are um, more like a fantasy band and things that we are singing about. We sing about uh, feelings more. I haven't thought about us as a band in exile. First of all, because of, uh, as you mentioned, because of uh, the language. The language is uh, is very, very hard link to your country. And it's strange for me because a lot of people now are talking about cancel of Russian culture and so on. But I think that it's, it's like uh, question number 1,158. <laughs> in the list of problems <laughs> that we have now. So it's very strange for me that a lot of people talk about that. I don't think that it's important and I don't think that it can be canceled. And I don't know how it sounds, but I see I see the statistics in Spotify or Apple Music, and a lot of people from Ukraine are listening to our music still. And uh, I, I have... Uh, I had friends from Euro- Ukraine who stopped talking to us. And sometimes we, we see the comments like, wow, oh, you, you told uh, no to war just uh, because you want to, make, to have concerts and so on. And I have uh, no right to judge uh, these people. It's totally okay. I understand it. But I think that there is no such problem that our culture... Will be cancelled, or something else. I hope that the uh, culture of uh, Putin and his gangsters that it uh, would be cancelled. Yeah, there is famous uh, TV presenter, uh, Leonid Parfionov, and once he told me it was like fifteen years ago, he told me uh, such thing that it was it was a joke, but there was a lot of in it. He told me, Thanks God that there is no United Russia except one that is put in quotes. And when people from Western, and we see it uh, in sanctions, for instance, they see Russia as a whole body, like one man. (laughs) Uh, But there are a lot of different people, very different. And I I think that uh, there won't be any problem with uh, culture. And I, I don't think that there will be a problem for us to write new songs. Probably our songs will change, but I, don't, but I don't know how will it happen.
0: At the top of the show, I promised to get into Russian patriotic music, contemporary Z music, centered around support for the military and specifically the invasion of Ukraine. To learn more about this subgenre, I turn to Russian music critic and journalist Lev Gankin. Would you call military patriotic music is it is it a genuinely popular genre of Russian music? Is it fair to say that like today's Z or Z music is like the next chapter of this genre? Like it's a revival?
4: You know, I think this is basically a narrative of uh, the Z performers themselves. Because they want us to think that they inherit uh, all the cool stuff from the patriotic music of the, let's say, World War II or the Great Patriotic War, as it uh, is generally called in, in Russia. And maybe even the earlier times, uh, I mean, one of the most famous military patriotic songs is the one about the cruiser, which was called Varyag. Uh, I think it's the beginning of the 20th century. It's the war between Russia and Japan. And so, yeah, that that kind of stuff uh, has really been popular in the Soviet times. Not so much uh, in the post-Soviet era, I would say. And as far as the current crop of, of uh, these stars are concerned, I think that they are really flattering themselves when they think that uh, it's super popular and that they are, you know, the new breed of patriotic singers uh, that can be mentioned in the same breath with the, those guys back then. So I would say that this is a pretty fringe stuff mostly at this point in time. Maybe it will change, but Right now, it's it's more like this.
0: So as an American, like the closest thing I can think of, when I when I hear the concept of like patriotic music, I think of like maybe like country music, some country music, like at least like during the Iraq war, I think there are probably songs about like supporting your troops. And usually there's a lot of like
4: religious stuff like God
0: and country and throw some military. I
4: think there is this kind of music in basically in any tradition and in the history of any country. So
0: is, is this part of that? That's This is that same tradition in Russia or this is something different?
4: I mean, I think this tradition, you know, it has kind of stopped at some point. So they are, they are trying to revive it, perhaps, we may say this. But it's not, you know, the, the unbroken line that goes from, from that kind of music to this kind of music. No, the, it's, a, it's a renaissance of sorts, but uh, I wouldn't say that it's uh, too popular and too meaningful in a historical sense.
0: I've been using this phrase Z music or Z music. what are the central themes of this? Is it like fair to does this thing actually exist? Or is it just something that a newscaster slaps that label on some kind of music and now it's suddenly Z music? Or is there a genuine if I say to you Z music, you're like, Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about, or is it like, oh well that's just a sort of silly term, it doesn't mean anything?
4: That's a good question because obviously it does exist and Naturally, if you say uh, Z Music, uh, something immediately jumps to my mind: all these guys singing about supporting the army and, you know, making Russia great again or something, something along these lines. But I'm not. 100% sure that it is a scene. Because for me, it's more like uh, a lot of individual reflections of, of the current events, but uh, most of the, some of the guys, okay, not most of the guys, but some of the guys and girls that uh, are part of this so-called movement, they're really uh, hating each other, for instance. Uh, there are a lot of contradictions inside that circle of musicians.
0: About what? What do
4: they, what do they fight about? A lot of these guys want to uh, present themselves as the real, real uh, Z guys, the real Patriots. And for instance, there is a guy like Shaman. He's like, uh, you know, the, the only, basically the only new star that came out uh, of all this mess and i think that most of the other guys are considering him more like you know the glamorous kind of uh, kind of guy who jumped on the bandwagon without really supporting anybody and just in uh, in his desire of making more money or something like this or being in fashionable and on one hand you have the musicians who for instance support all this thing from 2014 And they were really, you know, traveling to Donbass and performing for the separatists there all this during all this time. On the other hand, you have people like Shaman who just uh, made their patriotic foray into patriotic music fairly recently, only after the bloodshed started uh, on a big scale in 2022. And so this is a point of uh, arguments between them. So they are not all on the same page. And as such, I think that the Z-music or Z-music is a fairly convenient way for us, the music journalists, to label this uh, diverse uh, group of uh, performers. But I'm not sure that uh, it really exists as a scene like we can say, I don't know, the punk scene in Britain in, uh, in the late 70s.
0: No, it's not like mm-hmm. this. Okay. And how do these, how do these musicians perform this kind of music, like, how do they reach their audience? Like, are they are they are they booking concert venues and having big shows? Are they trending on YouTube? I know that some of them go to the front lines, essentially, kind of like a USO tour, and they actually perform for soldiers.
4: Well, once again, there are some different ways of doing this because if we're talking about shaman who really uh, does stadium tours in in Russia and performs in very very big venues. Uh, but he's more or less alone in this. Uh, most of the other guys, they are like, you know, they they are giving concerts in clubs. Uh, they do perform on some festivals. They do have some platforms uh, where they can uh, introduce their music to the wider audience, uh, which is YouTube, of course, which is uh, touring Russia. And I have to add that since a lot of the musicians, a lot of the musicians with different opinions left Russia. There is a certain hunger for for, for music, and uh, a lot of the schedules in clubs are free from from shows and they they need to book someone. There is a certain dearth uh, of uh, new and popular uh, music in uh, the Russian clubs, especially on the periphery, if you're not talking about Moscow or St. Petersburg, and so they're happy to fill those slots in the schedules. And I wouldn't overestimate the number of people who go actually see them and cheer for them and stuff like this, but they do have their own audience. Uh, And I think it may have probably become bigger uh, after the war, not, uh, you know, uh, in a different league. No, nothing like this, but slightly bigger.
0: What about legacy mass media? Like, do they do they enjoy privileged access to television or radio?
4: Well, they do, they do, because uh, of course, uh, when you're a TV producer, sometimes you have to, you know, find uh, people who can play on all these uh, mostly quite tasteless uh, programs and shows, and uh, a lot of uh, the musicians who could have could have performed this, they are blacklisted now. Um, and so they need to turn to the same, uh, basically the same group of musicians to, to perform on their
0: shows. How do you explain some groups who aren't really like patriotic figures? And some of them, I guess, have even been critics of the invasion. Like the, I'm thinking of the front man of the group, um, Zviery. Apparently in, it was in August, fairly recently, he did a performance like at the front for soldiers, or at least like somewhere probably, I guess it was in occupied Ukraine and you know he's he's criticized the invasion but he's doing this performance can you explain that How, why did he do that
4: well the easy answer is no i cannot perhaps it has something to do with the uh, the the economic uh, reasons because uh, and the censorship reasons because i think that they wanted to perform last year uh, on the saint petersburg uh, economic forum and they were kicked out of it uh, because uh, you know some some people uh, remembered that he spoke against the war. So now he's got to make him. And now, yeah, and now he was. Now he, he just realized that uh, if he wants to keep being a musician in Russia and uh, go on big tours and things like this, perhaps he need to he needs to show something patriotic as well.
0: Last question I had was. We've been talking a lot about like the I mean maybe maybe this question's flawed actually because you, you've said you said just recently that Z music is not its own genre it has just to do with the themes they're discussing, but if we set aside the like the ideological issues and problems with with the, those kinds of lyrics, those themes, do you think that there are there any songs among the Z songs that are coming out now that you expect will sort of live on and become? greatest hits of the era, classics they are listened to decades from now? Like, Are any of these musicians actually talented? Are they doing good songs? Apart from the, 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 the lyrics, right? Let's, let's just set aside, invasion bad, Ukraine, you know, victim of invasion, got it. But like, are any, is any of this music good? If Say you didn't understand Russian, you just were listening. Is there, is there any, are there any toe tappers or anything like that in here?
4: I would say that some of this music is okay. I wouldn't say that it is really good, like, you know, uh, breathtakingly good. But it is okay. It's uh, pretty professional. Uh, Like, for instance, the Shaman's hits. Uh, It's not something that changes the world, but it is done according to the playbook of uh, good, popular music. It has these soaring choruses and, you know, like the... it, it, It is structured in a good way and it really may... Uh, you know, affect someone's feelings.
0: Besides Shaman, who are some, what are some other musicians that people, Not people who, I, mean, I hesitate to say like, go check it out. But like people are probably, cu- anybody listening to this, <laughs> this episode is perhaps curious and they might want to look up on Spotify yeah. a few of these people just to like hear the music and just to know what it is. Like who are some other groups or bands that you suggest people check out
4: yeah, most of the other guys are already pretty old, uh, but you can you can name, for instance, Vadim Samoilov from the band Agata Kristi, uh, the seminal Russian rock uh, band of the late 80s and early 90s. And he's doing his stuff. He's a professional musician. Uh, he knows how to write a really solid, hard-rocking tune, and he keeps doing this. And then you have, uh, like, um, Yulia Chicherina. Her case is a bit different because I... You know, from uh, what we can see, she has really gone a bit crazy with all this, and it affected her music as well, because it kind of, uh, you know, it constantly rotates between different styles and genres, uh, and he, she hasn't got uh, his her own genre anymore. Well, one of the songs can be like... Uh, you know, the patriotic march and the next song can be something Caribbean and really like summer vibes and things like this and they are all on these kind of subjects and they're completely different that, that's a really strange case but she's one of the main stars so to speak of all of all these uh, movements and probably if someone wants to if anybody wants to know just what it does to the musicians it's a, a nice idea to go on the streaming service and listen to her uh, recent stuff and then to c- compare it to the things that she used to be singing like uh, around the millennium for instance well and so on there are others too but probably that's that's it for starters i would say <laughs>
0: Before we close out, folks, I'll leave you with a clip, a collaboration between Yulia Chicherina and the pro-government rap artist Akim Apachev. The song came out in mid-August 2023, after mercenary leader Yevgeny Prigozhin died in a plane crash. The song is titled in English, Who is Mr. Wagner? And it's basically an ode to the private military company. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.